It's our corner infield preview episode. We'll deep dive through a number of undervalued players as projected by the ATC projections. Plus, we'll have some starting pitching strategy, a stolen base update, and a corner infield conundrum. And more. Frank Stamfel of the CBS Fantasy Baseball Today podcast joins us next on Beat the Shift. And welcome to another episode of the Beat the Ship podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruben Guy. How you doing, Ruben? I'm doing good today. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Oh, we had uh, PitchCon. Uh, it's going all this week. I uh, I presented on it earlier today. We did a lot of the ATC volatility metrics, and uh, our guest today also was on it. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing great, and I can't believe I think you were po- possibly the only person on PitchCon with three FSWA nomination for awards for Baseball Writer of the Year, Best Baseball Article, and Best Baseball Series. Is that oh, true? Yeah. You, did, did you have the most nominations on that show? Uh, today, uh, Ryan Bloomfield also uh, had three nominations. Uh, that's pretty uh, good. But yeah, that's pretty exciting. We, uh, we, uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank, thank you so much. It's uh, it. Uh, I'll tell you on Sunday when my phone kept dinging, I'm like, oh my god, uh, I c- can't believe all three of them. But uh, hey, there we go, and uh, it's it's a nice it's a nice achievement. And hey, maybe I'll win. You never know. Yep. All right. Well, we got a great show today. Uh, he, as I mentioned, he was on PitchCon earlier today, but you might know him from the CBS Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. Welcome to the show, our buddy Frank Stamfel. How are you, Frank? I'm doing very well, gentlemen. Happy to be here. And I've got to say, I don't know that I've ever told you this, Ariel, but every time I hear the theme music of this podcast, it gets stuck in my head for days. So thank you for that. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's it, you're welcome. It, the, the theme music comes from my brother's saxophone teacher's band back in like the 90s. Um, I, I happened to have that recording and I asked him, can I use it? And he's like, yeah. So uh, there you go. It's <laughs> It's a good theme. <laughs> I love it. It's very chic. Exactly. <laughs> uh, in fact, all the music in the middle, all the interludes, it's all from that same album. Uh, a nice nice little jazzy stuff. I'm not a very big jazz guy, but I don't know. That one is an old classic for me. But anyways, uh, you didn't come here to exactly uh, – you, the listener, that is, didn't come here to talk about uh, uh, music uh, or intros, although, of course, maybe you did. But uh, uh, we're going to talk fantasy baseball with uh, Frank, and today's our corner infield preview show. But, of course, before then, we always talk strategy. So uh, just to throw it out there to you, Frank, you know, in general, you know, what is one thing that you are personally looking to change about your fantasy play for the coming season? Like, what's, what's one thing you want to improve on personally? I actually have a few things that I came up with here, and something that I've noticed for years playing fantasy baseball is that I'm always very risk-averse, specifically when it comes to injuries. I don't think that's going to change in the early rounds. Guys like Jacob deGrom still going in the second, third round. I don't think I'm going to go ahead and take a risk like that. But something I've noticed for years now is during spring training, guys might get banged up, and they will just slide down draft boards. And at some point, they become a great value. I know you had Phil Dussault on the podcast recently. I was listening to that. He talked about how he just gobbled up the value of Zach Gowan and Luis Castillo last year during spring training when they were just sliding down draft boards. And as long as I can remember, I have just completely avoided players like that. So I'm not going to actively seek out injuries, but if I notice a player that is 
falling down draft boards as a result. If everyone's just concerned about the same thing during spring training, or it doesn't even have to be injuries. It could be maybe a player is struggling in spring, and, and as a result, he's falling down draft boards. I'm going to look to gobble up that value. One other thing is batting average, specifically in Roto Leagues. I noticed last year a lot of my teams didn't have great batting average, and it's really tough later on in the season to try and dig out of a batting average hole because that is a rate statistic. The further you go into the season, the harder it is to climb out of that hole. So I think batting average and maybe taking a few of those risks on players that uh, maybe aren't performing or sliding down draft boards in spring training. I like those. No, those are fantastic. And for the very, very, very technical, I just want to say that if you are using Z-scores versus SGPs, to value your players. I don't want to get into exactly what that is, but if you're using the standard deviation method instead of the, uh, you know, repl- how many points does it get to jump up in categories, the SGP method, uh, S- Z scores actually focus more on the rate stats, like batting average, ERA, whip. You'll actually, in your draft, will target those a little bit more. If you're using SGPs, you're going to be more on the counting category, stolen bases, wins. So, uh, you know, tr- try evaluating it if, if you're it, both ways and take a look. You'll actually see, you know, Luis Arias comes up higher. So you know, maybe it's a lesson for us to maybe switch more to Z-scores if, if that's the case. I don't know. Uh, Ruvain, what about you? What's, what's one thing uh, that, that you want to improve on? The complete opposite of what Frank just said. I don't want to go. I'm going to stay away from those injury guys. I, I Last couple of years, I'm always taking these guys who I think or I know or based on their injury, I think they're going to be back a month into the season or a couple of weeks into the season, and I'm getting burned by them. And I, I can't – I'm falling behind in the statistical categories and the counting stats so early, so quickly. It, it, I feel like I'm playing catch-up the entire time, and I really don't want to do that. But the main thing I really want to do this year is spend more time looking at Fab. I think I, I used to spend a lot more time looking at Fab. I do Fab. You know, I, I, I do the normal amount, but, I mean, I'm doing less because, you know, life happens, and, and I just don't have time. But if I would spend a little bit more time with Fab, I think my teams would be better off in the long run. Yeah, I was going to actually say that for myself, uh, to spend more time on Fab. I think for me also, I'm going to try to comb through box scores a little bit more and even watch some video. You know, uh, how do you know what the next closer is going to be? You really got to stay on top of box scores. Oh, who's picking up saves? Who's going into the high leverage situations? You know, saves and closing situations are so fickle these days. You really need to keep a very direct pulse on what's going on because you want to pick up that guy the first week that he does it before he goes to – 300 out of 1,000 fab. If you pick him up early, maybe you can get him for only 20 out of 1,000. So I want to be a little bit more judicious with that, and that comes from looking at box scores a little bit more. So that's something else. Anything else, Frank? No, I think that's fair. Ariel, I think you're probably going to have to cut back on the pickleball and softball, though, if you want to uh, pay attention <laughs> to box scores, no? Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it's pickleball we do in the winter, but uh, yeah, I, I can't get out of that softball. It's just, it's just so much fun in its own right. Listen, there's a limited time in the day. I also do, uh, do work. So, uh, you know, <laughs> what's the, what's that? Eh, work. Yeah. Smoke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Best we can do all there. I want to talk a little bit about rule changes and, um, you know, uh, I've gotten a lot of questions to me as ATC projections have just come out. And the question is, Oh, Hey, Ariel, are the new rule changes and the new balance schedule already incorporated into the projection? So I want to just answer directly to, to everyone who's asking that. The balance schedule, that is already in all the projections. In fact, they really didn't need to do an adjustment at all. 
Um, or at least they didn't have to do anything different than they always do. You know, every year, anybody who does the schedule, they're going to have some kind of park factor per player. You know, the Rockies guy has a much higher offensive park factor than somebody who plays in the Marlins. And every year it's going to be different because you know there's a different schedule. Some years there's teams that play all the AL West, and sometimes it plays all of the AL Central. Right? There, there's different factors and schedules every year. Anyways, it's just an update. So it's already in there. There wasn't anything the projections had to do. But as far as the new rules of banning the shift and the pitch clock and the larger bases, uh, that actually, by and large, are not in projections yet, and they aren't exactly in ATC yet. Some projections are, but they have minor weight in ATC right now. In the next couple of weeks... Uh, I am told by the big projections guys that they will be making an adjustment. Uh, so you are going to see that, but give it a good two weeks at least from today, and then you'll see most of the projections. I know some projections won't, like Zips. Dan Zimborski, he says, oh, I don't know how to do a projection for that, or I, I, I can't tell you what the effect is till we see it. So for this year, we're just going to leave it alone. And that's his methodology, which I respect. Uh, but you should, you should at least know that that's what he's going to do. But the majority of projections, alterations, will be in ATC in just a couple of weeks. Uh, Frank, I know you've done a little bit of research as to some of the effects. Maybe you can share that with us. Yeah, so I've specifically looked into this pitch timer and the bigger bases. And more so anything, it's these limited pickoff throws which is going to lead to a big increase in stolen base attempts. Uh, with this rule in the place in place in the minors last season, steal attempts per game increased from 2.23 in 2019 at a 68% success rate to 2.83 uh, last season at a 77% success rate. So a huge jump in just stolen base attempts and success rate based on uh, these rule changes that were in effect last season in the minors. And per MLB Executive Vice President Morgan Sword, he said, if you impute this type of increase to the major league level, what this would get us back to is sort of roughly where we were in the early 2000s. Now think about that. Back in the year 2000, 42 players stole 20 or more bases. In 2022, only 24 did that. And I looked at ATC projections, which currently have 23 pro uh, players projected for 20-plus deals. So I'm happy, you know, you pointed out that within the next coming weeks, uh, these things are going to be updated. And God bless you, you projection guru guys, because I don't know exactly how it's going to change. I wouldn't know how to project steals myself. But based on this research and things that I've read, steals are going to go up. We just don't know how much. We don't know how they're going to be distributed. Is it going to be 10 to 15 steel guys are going to become 20 steel guys? Is it going to be 20 to 25 steals are going to become 30 to 35? Are we going to see someone up over 50, up over 60 steals? We really don't know. The only thing that I will say confidently is that steals are going to go up. I just don't know how they're going to be distributed. Yeah, I mean, we have to assume that. It's sort of like what happened with the home runs with the juice ball that it affected the, the middle or the, the warning track power guys where, you know, guys who don't steal paces, they're not going to suddenly start, to, oh, <laughs> I'm going to run now. That's not going to happen. And guys who are already stealing a large percentage of their time on base where there's no sec – they're on first and there's nobody on second – you know, they can't steal any more than they do. Mondesi goes wild as it is. He's not going to do any more. But it's the people who, you know – are stealing some, but not all the time. They're they're going to increase the most. So it's the the Goldilocks zone of somewhere in the middle is what our basic thoughts. Uh, uh, what do you think, Ruvain? Is that about right? 
Well, yeah, and I like the way Frank worded it. He said attempts because there's going to be a priority on teams having catchers who can throw both base runners out. And I think that'll affect playing time for catchers, especially looking into it. The better fielding catchers, the better throwing catchers, the catchers who frame pitches better and stuff like that, they're going to get a lot more playing time than just the home run hitting catchers. Like the one one catcher I could see losing a lot of playing time because it's someone like Gary Sanchez. Gary Sanchez is not known for being a good defensive catcher. If the ball goes in the dirt and the, and the runner is, is getting a, a good lead, Lead, he's he, he's going to affect the game and defense up the middle has always been a priority and the fact that there are going to be more attempts and more people and, and there's going to be more motion going around the bases and everything like that I think that that's going to put a more much more of a stress on the catchers as well as the pitchers yeah a lot to be affected um, now well we are going to talk about corner infielders later in the show but I do want to talk a little bit about starting pitching I was talking the other day with Frank um, and you know we've talked about this on the show a little bit but Starting pitchers going to look a little bit different this year. We're not seeing in NFBC early drafts. We're not seeing uh, those aces pop up at the moment where you have, oh, my God, six, seven aces uh, very, very high up. Uh, by the second round, there's you know 15 aces, uh, 15 starting pitchers being taken. We're not seeing that. Um, and, you know, as, as the season gets closer, we will see a little bit more push-up in the starting pitching, but it's not going to be anything the way it was over the past two, three seasons. Uh, but I think you have some different thoughts about how to attack starting pitching this year, uh, Frank, if you want to just uh, share that with everybody. Yeah, I'll just start off with the, the top tier. It's true that top-end starting pitchers are going a little bit later than they have in years past. Garrett Cole, Corbin Burns, these are guys that have second-round ADPs, even in 15-team leagues. That's not something that we're used to. I do agree that I think that they're going to be pushed up uh, as we get closer to March. But if you look at rounds two through four, it's basically the same as last year. I was counting up historical ADP, uh, how many starting pitchers went in those rounds in years past. It's basically the same as it is so far this year. So I just wanted to point that out. No pitchers in the first round, but once you get into like rounds two, three, four, it is pretty similar to uh, last year. Entering this offseason, it felt like there were a lot more viable pitchers, almost this return of mid-tier starting pitchers. And there were multiple reasons for this. The offensive environment has changed once again in baseball. Humidors in every park. They've uh, deadened the baseballs once again. As a result, offense has taken a step back once again, uh, and pitching has become better as a result. However, with these shift restrictions that are coming in, I do worry a little bit about those pitchers who had great results on balls in play. Guys like Merrill Kelly, Miles Michaelis, uh, even Framber Valdez and Sandy Alcantara to an extent. Those are guys that, you know, they don't have these gaudy swinging strike or strikeout rate numbers like the Spencer Striders or Jacob deGroms of the world. I think they will be affected. I, you know, More ground balls are going to fall through as a result of the shift ban. Uh, there's going to be more runners on base. Whips are going to be a little bit higher. A few more runners are going to score. ERAs are going to go up a little bit. With all that being said, I'm not really changing my, my approach. I, I like to grab two top 20 to 25 starting pitchers, and then I'll just take the value where it falls. I'm in a 15-team slow draft right now. I got Zach Wheeler in round four, which seems like a tremendous value. It's totally fine. I'll just continue to gobble that up. And I got Max Fried in round five. So if I could get two top 20-ish, top 25 starting pitchers in the first, you know, three, four, five rounds, I'm going to do that. Uh, and then, you know, just kind of let the value fall where it does throughout the middle rounds. 
Yeah, well, the fact that there's going to be more hits and more runs makes pitching worth less in general, right? Because, um, you know, if, if more pitchers are going to be similar, right, BABIP and, and all that, these luck factors, hits going through, that makes pitchers go more similar. And if that becomes a bigger component of of the the pitcher arsenal or the, of, of uh, the results of the pitchers, then it's going to make pitchers go down and it makes pitchers more fungible. Uh, my feeling is that you can actually get by without picking a pitcher in the first four rounds. You don't need to pick a Verlander. You don't need to pick a Woodruff. You can actually make do by picking a bunch in a row. I mean, Ruvain, we used to do this a couple years back. We called it the the 3-1-8 strategy. And that would be where you don't pick any ace, but you pick a, a 1-A pitcher. Uh, not, you know, somebody at the very bottom of the, the SP1s, if you will. I pick about three of them. So we're talking about three $19 pitchers, something like that, uh, in place of an ace. Therefore, you get a quantity of three. But the difference from this year is that not just at the top, I think we have to make a change at the bottom. I think that we've seen, as we talked with Phil on the last episode, that the waiver wire for pitchers have been really, really terrible, especially in deep leagues, that you bring a pitcher in, especially in the early months of the year, and they wreck your ratios. I mean, how many times have you gotten gombered over the last couple of years? Um, you're better off having higher quality pitchers uh, than not. So ideally, you want to be done picking pitchers before you know the 17th round. You want to have five dollar pitchers and above in, ter- and above in terms of auction speed. Uh, yeah, remember Ruben? We used to do the three one eight strategy. We used to do it all the time, but I, now I disagree with you a little bit. I think we should get at least one starting pitcher in rounds three through five. I don't care where it is, and as long as I can get a good value there, I think I want my. I need that one A. We've we've done that also. We do either do the three one A's or or similar to that. But I think you need that real one just to get those strikeouts, especially if stolen bases are going to be up and and ERAs and WHIPs are going to be up. You want the guy who you can count on for the strikeouts, so you don't have to worry about your ERA and WHIPs going up so much. And then I think there's another spot like around rounds nine through eleven. There are a lot of pitchers there that I'm very comfortable taking as my number two or I know my number three. You got pitchers like. Clayton Kershaw going there. You have Freddie Peralta going there. You have Charlie Morton going there. Those are really stable guys who I know what I'm going to get, basically. They're not going to be these sexy names that are going to just, you know, I'm not reaching for anybody. I'm not trying to blow someone out of the water there. But I think if you have the one and then you have like a 1A or, or, or 2 or 2A or 2B, something like that, I think you can build a staff around that. Uh, two questions for you, Frank, on, on pitchers. just want to get your quick thoughts. Uh, one is Tyler Glass now. He's going in the sixth round. We we know that he's a fantastic pitcher. It's just a question of, you know, you talked about the injury part of it, that uh, he's not a, he's not going up early. He's not going late, as you were saying before. But, you know, he's, he's going somewhere in the middle, and uh, he has upside. Thoughts about him? And I know that Scott White on your show loves, loves, loves Verlander. How in the world does he think that he's – well, look, Scott's a great analyst, so I know how he thinks Verlander's number one. But, wow, I can't see myself taking Verlander as number one, the age and everything. Uh, what what argument do, do, does he have for that? Yeah, I'll start with Verlander first. I think when he's ranking pitchers at the top, and he's already on record saying, you know, he doesn't want to take a pitcher in the first one, two, even three rounds. But 
you know, in a 12-team league, there is a chance that Verlander slips to a fourth round. You know, I've, I've already seen it in some drafts. Uh, but he likes to lean on age a little bit. He likes the fact that Verlander has been there and he's done that compared to, you know, some of these starting pitchers like a Spencer Strider or a Dylan Cease who doesn't have that track record. We don't know what we're going to get in terms of the innings. So uh, I don't want to talk for Scott, but I feel like I've worked with him enough to know that's what he would say is uh, he likes the track record. His number two starting pitcher is Max Scherzer. So two old guys up there at the top where they've done it. Um, you know, maybe we hope have... he's right, by the way, as my Mets fans. <laughs> I know, yeah, right? I gotta call right. him out. He's supposed to be right. a—he's supposed to be a Braves fan. Meanwhile, he's ranking two Mets at the top here. I don't know what's going on. Um, but yeah, he does like having—you know—he likes age as uh, as a benefactor for starting pitchers. And with Tyler Glass now, the skills are off the charts. I mean, there is no doubt about it. I think he's a high variance starting pitcher. It wouldn't surprise me if he is a top ten starting pitcher on a per game basis. But uh, you know, coming back from the injury, we saw him a little bit last year. What are the innings like this season? Does he get, you know, 130, 140? Can he push 150 or 160? I think those are, that's going to be the differentiator right there. Because if he can push 150, 160, then we're legitimately talking about, you know, maybe a top 15, top 10 starting pitcher. Um, the skills are off the charts. I have him ranked around 25 right now, so I think I'm a little bit more cautious. But if we see him come out in spring training and he looks like himself and he's throwing hard and he's striking people out, there's no doubt in my mind that the ADP is going to be on the rise. Yeah, I think with him, it's not going to be the games. I think he'll get the games in, but I think they're going to, if I say Blake Snell him, where he's going to go five innings a game, especially in the early start of the season, I can see the Rays doing that. I think it's almost more the, more the pitches than the innings, right, Ariel? Like, we saw this with Shane McClanahan last year. He would go six innings, but he was just super efficient. It would be, you know, 80, 85 pitches. I think we'll probably see something similar with Glass now. If he's efficient... They'll let him go deeper, but there's probably going to be capped around like 80, 85 pitches. Right, right. A pitch count. Sure. I can yeah, understand and, that. And, and having a stressful inning and a non-stressful inning can lengthen the start completely. And with the Rays bullpen, even if you pick them and, and, you're, and you get five innings out of them, the Rays bullpen is great. They, they can hold on to lead. So I'm not, I'm not concerned about, about his win, win total. I, 150, I think 150 is definitely doable for Tyler Glass now. His health is not an issue at this point. He came back last year. He pitched three innings. Um, I think it was the last game of the season. He had seven strikeouts. I think he's going to be perfectly fine. I think they should take the training wheels off. What are they going to do? He, he's, he's, he's not going to break. He broke already. He's not going to break. Hopefully, God willing, he won't. And and I, I think he's he's actually a kind of a safe pitcher. I, I'd rather have 150 innings of him than someone else later in the draft. I'm so glad that the injury expert gives his blessing for him. That's a vote of confidence right there, you know? Yep. Well, we'll come back to him later when we talk about pitchers, but today is all about corner infielders, and let's do a little strategy on that first. Um, I'll go to Ruvain first on this one. Very often you see some value changes due to change of scenery, mostly for the better, sometimes for the worst. There's been a couple of uh, corner infielders that have changed their scenes. We're talking Will Myers, Dominique Smith, Trey Mancini, Jose Abreu, even guys lower down like Brandon Drury, Carlos Santana, Evan Longoria, gone to a different team. Are there any corner infielders to you, Ruvain, who have jumped up because of the change in value that we otherwise might not have thought of? Yeah, I'm actually going to mention a couple of guys you didn't even touch on. That. Josh Bell in Cleveland. Josh Bell leaving Washington and going to a first-place team and and playing, getting most of the at-bats there. I know it's probably going to be a, a, a platoon there, but him playing there in that lineup 
with a couple of speedsters ahead of him. I love that. That's very. I, it's a great situation for him. So I think he's a great buy. And, and again, the lineup, he'll get more runs, more RBIs. Another sleeper guy who I don't think anyone really thinks about, Brian Anderson. He's playing on the Brewers. Now, his last non-injured season was 2019. He hit 20 homers, 57 runs, 66 RBIs with a 261 average and five stolen bases. He's going to be the, they said he's going to be the primary third baseman there. If he's going to get more playing time than people think he will, I think he's the guy you can just grab. And another guy who I think, it's not really a change of scenery, but Spencer Torkelson, Keep him in the majors and don't kill, don't keep yo-yoing him back and forth. If he's gonna, he is gonna be the primary first baseman in Detroit. If they don't do it, they won't pull a clinic on him and they keep getting him back and forth. I think he needs stability, and once he gets stability, I think he'll be a good value later on. Yeah, what what is the situation in Cleveland regarding first base? Because there's another first baseman that I kind of like there as well, named Josh Naylor. What's the what do you think the playing time uh, situation is? Or is you know is one the DH and one is the uh, and one is the first baseman. Bell is a switch hitter, by the way, so uh, he can go in any. Maybe they sit Naylor for lefties. What, what, how do you think it shakes out, Ruben? Well, Josh Naylor hasn't had many full seasons in the majors, and then that's the only thing that I'm concerned about. Um, he, I think he's going to lose some playing time. I don't think Josh Naylor is as good as Josh Bell. I think Josh Bell's uh, peripherals are better overall than, than, than Naylor. I mean, Naylor is, is similar to other low-level first basemen. He hits the ball on the ground too much. I think he had a 50% ground ball rate last year. Um, his launch angle wasn't that great. So I'm, I'm, not, I, I'm not really high on him as much. And I think to get that quote-unquote power guy to help give protection to Jose Ramirez in that lineup. I think I think that um, uh, Josh Bell is a, lot, is a better fit than Josh Naylor. All right. Frank, what about you? Uh, who's the first baseman um, or a corner infielder, let's say, uh, first or third that might be changing value because they're moving? Yeah, I think Jose Abreu is the poster child for this exercise. Last year, the power was down, but he still hit over 300, which you don't see for many batters nowadays. He finished as a top 100 player uh, in a top 75 player in Roto last year. Meanwhile, his ADP has dropped, and now he's joining the Houston Astros. Even since he joined the team, I think the ADP has jumped up to around 90. So maybe people just have Jose Abreu fatigue, whatever it might be, but he is still rock solid. I expect the power to be better this year in Houston. They got those uh, Crawford boxes, short porch in left field for him. So if he can pull some of those fly balls, I think we're back over 20 home runs for him. Really great batting average. And if he's batting cleanup behind Jordan Alvarez, Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve, the counting stats are going to be ridiculous for Jose Abreu. So uh, I love him as, you know, a top 90, top 100 pick in that range. Much later on, a few names you mentioned, Will Myers and Brandon Belt, just great landing spots for both of these guys. Uh, Will Myers in Cincinnati. We'll see what the health looks like. I know he's dealt with some knee stuff the past couple of years. He's really had trouble staying on the field. He's one year removed from 17 home runs and eight steals. We just saw Brandon Jury get his career back on track, uh, playing almost every day in Cincinnati. Uh, he was awesome there before he got traded over to San Diego. So I love the move for Will Myers. And then Brandon Belt, even if he doesn't play against left-handed pitching, you're talking about in the deepest of leagues as a corner infielder or a utility bat, He's going to hit in one of the best lineups in baseball with the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, finally get him out of San Francisco in Oracle Park where it's really tough for a left-handed batter to pull home runs. Uh, they're pulling the fences in a little bit in Rogers Center as well. So all those reasons, I think, later on in your drafts. Will Myers, Brendan Belt, two that I really like as well. And Jose Abreu, the definition of old, boring veteran. Guys like him, I just don't understand why people don't like. I guess it's the unsexiness, but the guy was the MVP 
two years ago, 2020. Um, I mean, he had almost 680 plate appearances last year, 601 at-bats. Um, he His power was down a little bit last year. He had 15 homers. Okay, uh, but his strikeout rate was way down to 16%. He batted 304 last year. Don't understand the hate for Jose Abreu. Maybe it's just because first base is more crowded at that region. Um, I, I, Jose Abreu, I, I have him on my teams all, seems like almost every year, as the quiet, you know what, I, I, I'll take I'll take him. He'll fill in a nice value for me. Uh, and yeah, and we'll talk about some of those other corners that you mentioned later on. Um I want to talk about the definition of shallow. I know a lot of people say third base is shallow this year, and I generally agree with it, but, of course, it depends on what the defini- definition of shallow is. What, what is shallow to you, uh, Frank, and, and uh, w- w- how would you say that the uh, – the, or I should say, what should you do given that the position is shallow? I think third base in particular is – look, it has great elite talent. There's no doubt about that, but it's shallow in that – you know, you go eight, ten players in, and the talent level at that position is not the same as if you go ten players into another position, like shortstop, let's say, or first base. So that's why I'm more likely to wait on first base or shortstop and grab a third baseman early on. Someone like a Manny Machado, an Austin Riley, or uh, Rafael Devers, someone like that. I'll pass on, you know, Pete Alonso for one of those guys because I'll know in the same round that I would be looking to grab a third baseman later, I can get a better first baseman, a better shortstop. So you just kind of got to look at it in terms of pairings, right? Like if I get this third baseman early, I'll be able to get a better first base or shortstop than I would be able to get a third baseman later on in my draft. So as a result, you know, I'd love to get one of those third basemen. You know, I'm not going to do it, you know, out of reason. You know, I'm not going to take a third baseman like Austin Riley over Jordan Alvarez just because I really need to have that third baseman. You know, it still needs to be within reason, but there's just, once you get past that top, you know, six, seven, eight at the position, I just don't really feel great about the talent there. Yeah, I like that as a definition, as uh, shallow is where you go some X number, it could be 7, 10. Uh, you see that the talent level uh, at that position is much weaker. Now, just to, to point out, it's different than saying that you need a, repl- you need a, a value bump for the entire ca- category, the entire position, because at the very bottom, if you take a look, first base and third base are really the same value. The guys at the bottom, if you if you have to take 15, 15 first baseman and then a couple more because there's a corner and 15 third base and a couple more because there's a corner, uh, that talent level is actually interchangeable first to third. It doesn't matter. So there's no overall boost for the third base position over first base. But exactly as you said, it's an opportunity cost that, oh, uh, if you don't take a third base here, you know, you, you – you have to take a third base later, but that third baseman who's somewhere in the middle rounds, not going to be as good as the shortstop. You'll get overall better value by taking the third baseman first. And then the other one, the other shortstop later, because the, the pool of shortstops goes down a little bit deeper. That's totally true. By the way, at the very bottom, I should also point out, um, it's so strange because this is flipped from maybe eight years ago. Shortstop and second are, so much better at the bottom. Like you used to be able to find all all your utility guys at the bottom were always first baseman, third baseman, that kind of thing. It's flipped. It's all second baseman, shortstop. And the other funny thing is that 
Uh, it's even worse for third base because at the very bottom of the corner infield pool, all of the third basemen are eligible at second or short or some other position so that even though, obviously, you you wouldn't use those at a different position, somebody else in your league might, right? There, some of those third basemen who are eligible there might be grabbed and used for shortstop, middle infield, second base by another team that your corner infield at at if you don't grab somebody higher up for the third baseman, you have to take a third baseman later, it's going to be much lower because all the multi-position players uh, are part of the second base shortstop pool. Very, very interesting. Any thoughts, Ruvain? Yeah, I want to compare it to last year. Last year, it was just the same. It was 100% the exact same thing. Third base was shallow, and it was like the top seven or eight, and then there's a huge drop. So there's really no change in the market, in for especially for third base, when you compare this year to last year. The main difference that I've seen so far in that comparing this year to last year is after you get past the first bunch of the, the top-heavy third basemen, the younger ones, the younger players are coming now toward the bottom of the third base list. You got the young guys, you got Josh Young, you got Gunnar Henderson, you got Jose Miranda, Spencer Steer, all these guys that you can take later on and they can turn and blossom into these great third basemen that we don't know about yet. Last last couple of years, it was less. Last year, they were the older third basemen. We, we still had a, a bunch of older guys that we, they, we, they weren't as, we weren't happy having them in our line. We'd rather have the younger guys because there's more upside. If you if you want to wait and you're going to wait for third base, then there's no harm in waiting. I wouldn't wait too long because otherwise you're going to be locked down and you'll be hoping that one of these young guys hit and you can your team may be based on that because you, know, you still need to get power from your corner infield. You'll get it from first, but you also got to get some power from third because you're not getting many stolen bases from third so you have to make sure that you have some stability so if you can go for corner infield i think you go for stability there where you can have a guy like you said ariel who has eligibility in both first and third so you can just slide them in whenever you need to for injury or for whatever and i think there's more upside later on in third base than there have been in past years so a bit of a thought question for you frank and you know, I know you said that you're okay with waiting in first base uh, there a little bit later. Uh, and we've preached that there's a lot of corner infield bargains available later in the drafts. Five, six, seven, ten dollar players that are worth, you know, six dollars more than them. Um, but what we noticed last year, and I think you said this on your podcast as well, that if you look at how ADP was, especially at first base, the the best first baseman was turned out to be the best first baseman at the end of the year. The second best first baseman ADP was the second best, and it with very, a few exceptions, it almost followed ADP. So the the risk of being wrong was was not very much, right? You, it, it, all the guys who said we were good were good. That almost tells me that well, why don't you pick? A high-priced one, Goldschmidt turned out to be incredible. Freeman turned out to be incredible. Let's stick with a high-priced first baseman because they're a lot safer, and what you want early in the draft are safety. That's sort of a contradiction with a, a saying that there are bargains later on that would suggest we should pass up the top guys and take guys down lower, down in the middle. How do you resolve that contradiction that, you know, last year it actually worked out better to take the top guys and we're seeing bargains down low? It's a great question, and I don't think there's any one right answer, right? There's multiple ways to win in fantasy baseball. Uh, I know that you preach about Freddie Freeman on this podcast, and I totally get it. I mean, he's been one of the highest floor-ceiling combo players for you know the past five, ten years, basically. So if it's safety that you're seeking, 
I have no problem with uh, pumping up a Freddie Freeman as you know a mid or late first round pick. Uh, one thing I'll point out is if you look at the top finishers at third base last year as well, the top six, Jose Ramirez, Rafael Devers, Austin Riley, Manny Machado, Max Muncy, Nolan Arenado. Five of those top six are the same ones that are being drafted inside the top six at ADP right now. So exactly what you said about first base, you could say the same thing about third base, right? So if you feel confident in that return on investment in the first you know, two rounds, two or three rounds, taking an Austin Riley in the second or Nolan Arenado in the third, why not just do it, right, and get it out of the way? Because as right. they proved last year, they were going this early again, and they returned that same value. So I, I think a lot of what you said about first base can be reflected at least on the top five or six third baseman. The problem is once you get past those top five or six, it's kind of a crapshoot. And that's why I'm putting more of an emphasis on third base this year. Right. So it almost suggests that maybe first base we can get away with and do the bargains down low. But third base, we should really subscribe to that philosophy. And, you know, Devers is out there in the second round. Grab him. You know, that kind of thing. Um, maybe that's the way to do it, you know? Yeah, I, I actually agree with that, and, and there's nothing wrong with that because, like I said, the lower guys at third base, those are the younger guys. Those are the guys with upside, and that's what you want. If you're in your later pick, you want to stick a guy in corner infield or third base because you can you can interchange them. Just because you label him third base doesn't mean you can't put him in a corner. So, I mean, you can have that that upside guy at third base. You always used to be, like you said, middle infield. We used to get the upside guys at middle infield. Now we're going to do this, just do the exact same uh, philosophy, just use the corner infields and flip with the middle infield. Yeah, I'll also add that um, sure, all else being equal, I think the third base is probably the right position to grab this year. But don't pass up value. If there's an outfielder that's projected or that you feel is much higher than the third baseman, don't don't pass it up. Take the outfielder, and you'll get a third base later. Uh, don't pass up value. But if there's something close within reason, yeah, third base is probably a good position to pound on a little bit early. All right. Uh, and by the way, I, I'd love to hear from the listeners. You know, drop us a note, uh, uh, tweet us, and maybe you have a different answer to this question. Uh, what What is your plan for first base, third base this year in terms of going high, low? I'd love to hear, love to hear uh, the audience. So give us some feedback. All right, time for the ATC undervalued players. That's where we talk about a couple of perceived bargains from ATC. ATC has its projections, and it computes the dollar value, and we see what the market is going. Compare the two, and we're bubbling up to the top the best possible potential bargains according to ATC. We may not be interested in all of them, but at least it lets us give a little bit of a focus of players to consider, being that projections say it is. So we'll talk about a bunch of them today, but before we do that, time for the Injury Gurus Trivia of the Week. Now, as we're about to jump into the corner infielders now, one of the things I, I was looking at is everyone always wants to have power from the corner infielder. So, Frank, Ariel, let's see if you can name these top nine home run hitters from the corner position from last year. Who were the top nine home run hitters from the corner position from last year? I know Rowdy Telez was one of them because I was looking this up earlier. <laughs> That's correct. Rowdy Telez was actually number tied, tied fourth with 35. Uh, Goldschmidt? Goldschmidt was tied with Rowdy Telez at 35. Austin Riley? Austin Riley was number two at 38 home runs. All right, I know we're going to talk about this guy, so I'm going to guess Christian Walker. Yes, this is why I'm bringing this up, because Christian Walker was number <laughs> three with 36 home runs last year. 
Come on. These are the easy ones. Think of the top corner first baseman. Come on. Uh, Vlad. Vlad was number, tied with number seven with two others. Number one. Come on. <laughs> oh, 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 a polar bear. <laughs> of course. Pete Alonso with 40 home runs. He was number one. But we also have at number six with 34 home runs, Matt Olson. Number seven tied with Vlad was Anthony Rizzo and Manny Machado. So as you can see, all the guys who are, we, we already mentioned, they're all on the top there. And then you see these names, two of those names that stand out really is Rowdy Telez and Christian Walker. Christian Walker played a career high 160 games last year, 36 homers, 242 average. Um, he had one of the worst Babbitts of his career at 248, and his fly ball, home, fly ball rate actually went up. So there's a chance that there's even more, a little more power there if he's a little bit more lucky. And and of all the corner infields last year, all, all those guys, I, I think he is such a, quote-unquote, as sleeper as you can be for power. He, no one thinks of Christian Walker as being having this third most home runs in the corner field behind Alonzo and Austin Riley. If you can get them, get him at a good value, that's great home runs there, and there's nobody behind him really in, in Arizona. I think he's going to get all the games, and as long as he stays healthy, I think he's a great buy. Frank, thoughts on uh, Christian Walker? Yeah, he's one of the hardest players for me to rank this year. He was awesome last season, the 36 home runs. Uh, StatCast loves him as well. He improved the strikeout rate in a big way. From 2021 to 2022, uh, the expected numbers, as I mentioned, for Sackhouse, they're much better. The XBA, the X Slug, uh, he had a monster second half as well. Uh, he just doesn't have the track record, which is what I keep coming back to. There's, I know, I guess some other first baseman like Rizzo has more of a track record going in this range. He actually goes even a little bit later than Christian Walker. Uh, Rowdy Telez doesn't have the track record, but you know, you're getting him 30 to 40 picks later, so. You know, if I'm taking a shot on a guy who kind of broke out last year, I'll just take the one who's going later in Rowdy Telez. So I haven't drafted Christian Walker yet, uh, but there is a chance that if what he showed last year is for real, he is one of the biggest bargains in drafts this year. Yeah, I think the power is for real. Uh, his barrel rate was up last year to 11.5. Fly ball rate is up, so he's hitting more fly balls there. And, and his homer, you, I usually look for a homer to fly ball rate to see if anything's unlucky or lucky. No, that's actually pretty much in line, a tick more than, than uh, his career average, so it looks good. Um, and uh, the 242 average that he had last year may be low. He had a 248 BABIP. Can you imagine if that BABIP stabilizes? He had uh, over 300 BABIP the three prior seasons. And now take a look at the, uh, the new rules. More batted balls. Hey, you never know. I mean, he's a righty, but, uh, you know, can only help him. So uh, I think the value is there. I'm not going to say he's going to repeat. That would be fantastic. But I think he can outperform ATC projection, or at least even if he does hit ATC projection, 26 homers, 250 average. Uh, I mean, he had a 36 homer season. Even at 26 homers, he's a bargain. So I, I kind of like What about Rowdy Telez? Um, Frank, thoughts on him? Uh, he's also a tremendous bargain. Uh, he's a $6 bargain according to ATC. Um, you know, uh, last year he had a 215 BABIP that has to regress. He had 35 homers last year. He can probably get most of it. ATC is projecting a $6 bargain. Health red, me, health metrics for him, uh, the risk metrics, I should say, look terrific. Um, he sounds like a good pick. What are your thoughts? 
Yeah, I'm in on Rowdy Telez. He's actually going 60 picks later than Christian Walker, so even later than I thought. Uh, 35 home runs last year, as we mentioned earlier, one of only 10 players to accomplish that last season. Uh, the 219 batting average was awful, there's no doubt, but his expected batting average was 252, according to StatCast. He's not a line drive hitter, so I don't know that he'll be helped out by the shift ban tremendously, but I have to imagine the batting average comes up a little bit. You know, 240-ish. I could see Roddy Telez doing that with the 30-plus home runs. It's a good ballpark for home runs as well. So, uh, yeah, if I'm just waiting, you know, around pick 175, totally fine winding up with Roddy Telez as my starting first baseman. Thoughts, Ruben? I'm a little nervous about him only because of his batting average. His carry was 20% last year, and his splits aren't that great. If you look what he did against lefty and righty, it wasn't that good. If you look, real, go even deep dive into his splits— Last year on the road against lefties, he batted 179 with one home run. That's that's a little nerve-wracking to me. I mean, he he's he has the power, but the problem is I think those splits may catch up to him and he may end up losing some playing time. Yeah, interesting. Uh, health? Are we concerned about his health at all, Ruvain? No. I, I mean, are you concerned with, uh, if you even go later, um, uh, Daniel Vogelbach, are you concerned about his health? These are just big guys. They're, they're, they're not going to get hurt unless they get a catastrophic thing like a, like a Prince Fielder where they injure their back and they're done for, for a long time. These guys, they know how to keep themselves in quote-unquote shape, um, whatever shape they may be, and I'm not really concerned about any injuries for him. I was going to say, the, the one thing I'll bring up about Roddy Telez's splits, if you look at his career numbers, he actually has a better average against left-handed pitching than he does against right-handed pitching. Both are not great, but he's 245 against lefties, 234 against righties. So, you know, perhaps some regression in that regard, but I hear you. He's probably not going to play every day against lefties anyway. Yeah. Does uh, Anderson factor at all uh, in, in the uh, Brewers, or is he going to be a third base and possibly some outfield? No. Well, Brian Anderson has played a total, I think, of one or two games at first base in his entire career. I was actually looking oh, it up okay. to see to see because he's not really a first baseman. He's he's mainly a third baseman. He played he played right field, I think, for a little bit as well because he's got a great arm. So they don't really want to hide that arm at first base. So I don't think he's going to steal any at bats. It is possible that Luis Urias, uh, Luis Urias can steal some at bats from him. He Urias, can play third. Yeah. Urias, so yeah, I think he can he can steal some at bats. But um, otherwise, I mean, th that's the only place I can see him actually losing at bats. But uh, Urias can play anywhere, so it, it's not like he's a guarantee that he's going to be taken, uh, you know, at bats away from him. All right, I, I, I guess I totally made, made up that Anderson at first base there. There you go. Uh, the only thing I'll say, though, is that the uh, I'm all into uniqueness of profile. Uh, I like players who are sort of not uh, not very unique. It's hard to get that whole profile, guys that you can't get in the waiver wire. Now, I know he has a lot of homers, but the shape of his distribution, where he's a homer and RBI guy and not much else, uh, it's not all that thrilling. If you find another guy later on or on the waiver wire that you didn't know about could replace some of his stats. So because of the uniqueness makes me not out, but just dings him a little bit for me. Uh, but yeah, it's he, he does have a nice bargain. Right now, if, if he stays where he is going, uh, I think I'm definitely, definitely in for him. All right, the next guy... I know you mentioned him earlier today and on your show earlier this week, Frank. Uh, I mentioned him on the PitchCon uh, presentation. Alec Bohm. Uh, he is. He had a great year. He had a $16 year last year, hitting 280, 13 homers. ATC projections have him at 277 with 16 homers, almost 70 runs and RBIs. 
He is a huge $6 bargain, according to the ATC projections, almost double his value. He's going in the 13th round, but he's worth several rounds higher than that, according to ATC. Um, his ground ball rate is down. Um, his homer to fly ball rate looks actually unlucky low last year. I think he can even unlock a new level and jump up in homers. He can actually steal some bases. He can steal maybe four or five bases, which which is something. And that strikeout rate, he went down to a 17% strikeout rate. Very, very good adjustments. I, I'm not going to say all in, but I, I, I think this is a great potential buy. He's not a sexy guy, but he's getting the job done. What are your thoughts? I like him. He's boring, like you mentioned, but I think he's coming as as a value because of that. I, I really like the plate discipline improvements. You mentioned the strikeout rate, 26% in 2021, 17% last year. Just a massive improvement. He He's always hit the ball hard. Uh, he did lower the ground ball rate last year. Still hits a little bit too many ground balls for my liking, but uh, if he can hit the ball as hard as he does and put it in the air, I agree with you. I think you know maybe we can get 15 to 20 home runs hitting in the middle of the Phillies lineup as long as Bryce Harper's out. The counting stats should be there as well. Yeah, I think guys like this just kind of fly under the radar. We just don't even realize that he hit 280 last year. I mean, this is someone going very late who could be a batting average contributor. So, yeah, I like targeting him uh, specifically in deeper leagues where he's you know more of a floor play than that ceiling kind of guy. You know, he's going later than Telez, um, and he plays third base. Is that even a better buy than Telez? Not for me, just because of the power. I mean, I guess it depends what you need, right? You know, Bohm's going to give you the 280, but, you know, Telez could give you 30-plus home runs. So I guess it depends what you need. But a lot of times in the drafts that I've been doing recently, trying to build up that batting average early, and then maybe I need a little bit of power later on. So that's why I keep winding up with Roddy Telez. Okay, so it's more of a, if you need him, you know, if you need batting average, maybe lean on Bohm a little bit later. If you need the power, Telez is a good quantity you can pick up. So, you know, do as needed. Sometimes the draft has to come to you. Uh, But, 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 Uh (laughs) last year he doubled his launch angle, okay? He he had hit for a higher average against lefties and more power against righties, which is interesting. That that plays pretty well at Citizens Bank Park. Um, And he's also a very streaky hitter. So I can see him going like on a home run binge in July last year, just July. He batted 434 with three home runs. So he can get hot. And when he gets hot, he can go off and raise that batting average, raise your team batting average. And I do probably expect more than just 17 home runs this year i do think he will with citizen bank park he right now without bryce harper and in that ballpark he's batting according to roster resources i know you can't really go by it yet but they have him batting seventh and that's not putting any pressure on him whatsoever remember coming into last year going to 2021 he did really well in 2020 in that short season so there's a lot of pressure on him to start last year i mean to start um to start 2021 and then his you know his 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 luster went away a little bit in 2021 but he regained it last year especially everyone saw it on display um he was hitting pretty well during the course of the playoffs and during the whole phillies run when they actually made it to the world series so i think that there is more hidden power there especially if you can increase that launch and keep the ang- launch angle that he has right now you know you mentioned the batting order lineup and roster resource says seven but the end of last year, he was consistently batting either fifth or cleanup, pretty much. And that was with Bryce Harper. That was with Bryce Harper in the lineup. True. You got Trey Turner, uh, though. Uh, Trey Turner probably lead off. But uh, I think you're right that it does matter where he hits in the lineup. If he's going to hit fifth, I like him a lot more than him hitting seventh. Frank, what is your best estimate on 
where he might hit in the lineup. I think it's going to come down to Nick Castellanos, right? If Castellanos can bounce back, then he's probably going to bat fifth, and, and maybe that pushes Alec Bohm a little bit lower. But if Castellanos is the same player that we saw last year, and Alec Bohm is the same player we saw last year, then he absolutely deserves to bat fifth in this lineup. So uh, I think it's going to just come down to production uh, between Bohm and Castellanos. All right, so we're rooting for – if you're picking Bohm, you're rooting for Castellanos to fail or to uh, <laughs> yeah. to underperform? <laughs> to repeat much, yeah. last year. To repeat last year. Got it. Got it. All right. No, that, that's uh, good to know there. Um, all right, let's talk about another guy uh, from Colorado, Ryan McMahon. Uh, oh, boy, this guy has been super stable. Another very unsexy guy, but – he is so spread out in every single category. His intra-SD, his, his standard deviation within, the categorical balance, he is a multidimensional player, right? He's not a five-tool stud, but he's balanced. 20 homers last year, seven steals, and he's been doing that consistently the last couple of years. 2020 was a little bit of a down year, but he did it back in 2019 as well. To me, I see consistency. Um, and I kind of think that there's a little bit more. You know, talk about the balanced schedule. The new balanced schedule actually helps the Rockies almost more than every other team because they still get to play all their home games in Colorado, but now they're they're playing less games in Dodger Stadium in where the Giants play. <laughs> Forget the name for a second. Uh, they change it so often. Uh, and then uh, less in San Diego they're going to get some more hitter-friendly parks that can only help Rockies hitters, so that'll go up. He also bats in the middle of the lineup, and if Chris Bryant is healthy, that will keep his runs and RBIs high. So I like his run production stats. I like the consistency of his low 20s power and mid-single-digit steals, batting average, with it, which is serviceable. For a guy going in the 16th round... That is a huge, huge bargain. He's a $7 bargain, according to ATC. What are your thoughts, Frank, on Ryan McMahon? Yeah, I think this is a good find. I mean, he's someone that I typically just gloss over for the reasons you mentioned. He's just kind of boring, but he's paid off top 140 value two years in a row. His ADP is 221, as you mentioned. So he's going really late. Uh, doesn't really reflect how valuable he's been the past couple of years. The batting average is mediocre, we know that, but 20-ish home runs, five to seven steals, maybe those counting stats could be better. Uh, you mentioned he won't have to play as many games in Dodger Stadium or in Oracle Park. He won't have to ah, face those Oracle. pitchers. He won't have to face those pitchers either, right? Like, Dodgers right. have a good staff, the Padres have a good staff, so I think you're on to something here, Ariel. I, I usually don't. I just kind of look the other way, but, you know, he's he puts up the numbers. He's, he's solid. He's, he's boring. He gets done. Don't take him in Tatworth, please. All right. <laughs> yeah, and because because he's so boring, that's why he's going so late. He's played 150 games both of the last two seasons, and I bet nobody even knows that. Um, he's only 28. It seems like he's been around forever, but he's only 28, and this is usually the year when 28, 29 is when the power really surges on. This is and typically when the when the hitters, you know, this is when they're we contract and they have contract years and everything like that. So I think if you're looking for stability, especially if you went high in the first in the first couple of rounds to get a first baseman and you you're nervous about dropping down lower, this is the perfect consistency guy that you want to have on your roster because you it's it's like the um what's the oven called the rotisserie oven. You set it and you forget it. You just put him in the third base, don't worry about him, and you know what you're gonna get out of him. Yeah, I mean we're sort of on the idea of taking the third baseman early, but 
good to know about later. And by the way, I was referring to Tout Wars. I don't think I've uh, public publicly congratulated you on winning Tout Wars for the second time in a row. Uh, Frank, uh, congratulations on that, by the way. Yeah, I really appreciate it. It was an absolute dogfight against Greg Jewett, you know, one of the best players out there. It was like a two and a half week uh, matchup period for the for the championship. So it was really, really long the way that they set it up, but it was back and forth, back and forth. Uh, I wound up on top, but uh, yeah, it was a dogfight. I appreciate it, Ariel. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Greg Jewett took me out of the playoffs, by the way. I, I finished in third in the regular season, and uh, unfortunately, I drew him. He was the sixth seed. And uh, I had my absolute best week of the entire season in the playoffs. I'm like, yes. And Greg just completely blew me out of the water. He just was on fire. Uh, and he rode it all the way to the championship. Uh, and he lost to you. Yeah. No, he's a good player. So shout out to Greg Jewett, man. Yeah, definitely. All right, moving on. Josh Naylor. We talked about him earlier. And maybe you can also opine, Frank, on the situation between Naylor and Bell. Probably one will get first base, one will DH. Uh, although Bell, of course, probably will get both left-handed and right-handed as he's a switch hitter. Um, Josh Naylor, he's actually the largest bargain, according to ATC, at the corner infield position. He's a $12 player going for an auction equivalent of four. Projections are a little bit differing on them. He's got a large interprojectional risk, but a negative skew. So projections differ, but there's somebody who differs very down, and we sort of trust that since they're down and they're away from the bulk of projections, that maybe he has a little bit more upside. He had 20 homers last year and 449 at-bats, six steals. I mean, that's sort of Ryan McMahon numbers, if you think about it. Um, and ATC is projecting to jump up in batting average to a 265. Very interesting. So at that level, again, we're talking like a $12 equivalent. You're getting him. He's going in the 16th round. Um I didn't really know much about him before I took a look at projections and, oh, my goodness, look at this perceived bargain. Um, low, not a lot of a track record, but look at his look at his strikeout rate. It was 16% last year, 18% the year before, 12% the year before. So the batting average has a very high floor because of that. And the power metrics look somewhat decent. So... I don't know. This could be a big bargain. I think the playing time is going to be the issue, whether we think he's going to be the full-time first baseman or not. What are your thoughts on the Naylor situation? I think he's probably going to split time between first base and DH. Probably not going to play against lefties. He's got a 565 career OPS against him in his career. But it probably doesn't matter. He played 122 games last year, and he had a really productive season. 256 batting average, 20 homers, 79 RBI, 6 steals. Makes all that contact, like you mentioned. His max EV is always great, too. So it kind of just gives you that hope that maybe one day he can tap into this power a little bit more. 113 mile per hour max EV. That is an elite mark. So if he can ever tap into that a little bit more, we're talking about a 25 home run hitter in the middle of this lineup. Uh, the only reason that I'll probably fade him, Ariel, is the whole rocking the baby thing in the postseason against my Yankees. We, we can't have that. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm out. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> uh, sorry about that, by the way. Hey, listen, the Mets, uh, Mets got thrown out uh, even earlier. So 
uh, what are you going to do? And, and with, uh, with, with Naylor, the thing is, he's exactly like Ryan McMahon, 100%, and they're going the same, going around the same time. If you want someone with guaranteed playing time, you go Ryan McMahon. If you want to have a little bit of upside and, and you want to have Naylor on the, on the roster, that he's getting a huge bargain, that's fine. But if they're the, almost the exact same player and it comes down to playing time, I think it's Ryan McMahon over Josh Naylor. Yeah, but I'll say it this way. If you're playing in a daily league, it might be Josh Naylor ahead because if he has a good platoon split and he's playing just that amount of time on a per at bat basis, he uh, sorry a per game basis, he might be better. So daily leagues might help out. Or if you're in a shallow weekly league, maybe he's the corner at the end. Maybe you've got two corners that platoon, and you can see what weeks they're playing more righties versus more lefties. Maybe that helps you in your platoon corner infield if you're in a shallow mixed league. If that if that makes sense, I think. But you could say the same thing about Ryan McMahon that he plays in Colorado, and you can you can play the games that he's in Colorado also. So it, it goes it goes both ways. Yeah, I, I guess so. Uh, but McMahon plays all the time, so I guess a uh, little bit less adjustable, as as you say. But uh, sure. Um, all right, next player on the list, Yandy Diaz. Um, I'm gonna say that he reminds me of Yuli Gurriel, but he's certainly not as good as him. Let's call him Yuli Gurriel Light. Uh, hits for a high average every single year. Power is low teens, something like that. Uh, but it's consistent. Now he's on Tampa Bay, so who the heck knows how many, how much playing time he gets? They like to platoon everybody. Uh, but he's consistent, and you know he has a tremendous contact rate. He had an 89% contact rate last year. Uh, ATC showing a $5 bargain, so gotta be interested a little bit. He's going. Almost in the 20th round of drafts. Uh, nothing thrilling at all. I do not like him as much as some of the other players, but he's a, uh, uh, you know, if you need something, if you need some late batting average, take a stab. It's a quick fix late. That's how I see him. And he plays third base. So, again, if you just miss that on everything and you want that quick fix, sure. A- any thoughts on, uh, on Yandy, uh, Frank? Yeah, the batting average point is exactly what I was going to make. You you normally can't find batting average contributors that late in the draft. So uh, I absolutely think Yandy Diaz will help in that regard again. He makes a lot of contact. I always wish that he would raise the launch angle, but we have enough of a sample size now to know that's probably not going to happen. He's just someone who hits a ton of ground balls. It is what it is. Still puts up a really good batting average. If you play an OBP, He's also ridiculous in that format. He had a 401 on base percentage last year. So if you're playing any type of OBP or head-to-head points leagues where plate discipline matters more, uh, yeah, I think Yandy Diaz is perfect as like a corner infielder or utility bat. Yep, there you go. Ruvain, anything to add? Yeah, I've been, I've been a Yandy Diaz fan for, for years already. Every year I tell Ariel, I tell you, we got to get Yandy Diaz. If he's a physical specimen, if you ever seen him, he's built like a truck. The only thing is he breaks down a lot, and that's the only thing I'm concerned about. But when he does play, he usually bats leadoff, and that's very important. Now, you never It's very rare you see a first baseman batting leadoff, I mean, unless you want to count Kyle Schwarber. But it's, it's very rare you can see um, a first baseman bat leadoff. Um, his K rate is down to 10%. Um, and he has, of all the third basemen we mentioned, he has the highest average exit velocity of all the guys we mentioned, and the lowest home run to fly ball rate of 6.9. It, it, it doesn't, it, it's, it doesn't, the way he's built, you wouldn't think that, but that's why they have him batting leadoff, and that's why they don't have him batting third or fourth. Interesting, yeah. Uh, moving on, Will Myers, I know you talked about him earlier. Frank, why don't you go first? What are your thoughts on Will Myers bouncing back this year? 
Yeah, it just comes down to the health, right? Can he stay on the field? I know he's dealt with some knee tendonitis the past few years, but if he is healthy, we're talking about every day at bats in great American ballpark, and he's going so late in drafts. I know that's you know kind of fixed itself as you know drafts have gone on. Now that we know that he's going to play in Cincinnati, he's moved up a little bit, but just look at what that ballpark did for Brandon Jury last season, got him back on track. One year removed from 17 homers and eight steals for Will Myers. So, look, if everything breaks right, we're talking about someone that could hit, you know, 25 home runs with 10 steals and he's going this late in drafts. So, uh, yeah, I'll take that shot and just hope he doesn't get traded. But if he's playing well, he probably will be. Yeah, so, you know, he used to steal a pace of 20 steals uh, per season. Obviously, he's a little bit older. He's 32 now. But with the new rules and the new bases coming together and pitch clock, what do you think his upside is, Frank, in terms of stolen bases this year? I still don't think it's too high. I mean, the the leg injuries that he's dealt with the past couple of years, you know, he had the eight steals, as I mentioned, in 2021. That was in 146 games. So, like, the ultimate upside is, like, maybe he can get to 15, but, you know, just realistic projections. Maybe he's somewhere, you know, seven, eight. I think that's probably fair for him. Yeah, and, and at that kind of spread, that's actually really good for your category spread, right? If you're decent in the category spread and you just want somebody who could just get a little bit of value with a little bit of upside, yeah, he, he take a shot. He's going 20th round in NFBC drafts right now. Ruvain, are you thumbs up or thumbs down on Myers? I'm thumbs down. He's exactly one of the guys I want to, st- like I mentioned before, about staying away from injury-prone guys. I want to stay away from him. He's only played more than 145 games or more twice since 2018. He did play 55 of the 60 games in 2020, if you want to count that. Um, I, I don't really see any upside. There's no more upside for him. It's, it's gone. His K rate's 30%. He's, he'll give you a mid-teens homers, maybe five, seven stolen bases, 250. The only thing is, it's playing time. There's nobody blocking him. There's no one behind him in Cincinnati. He's going to play that's why they signed him, and he's going to play until he gets traded. I think he will get traded, though. Yeah, I'm mostly thumbs sideways. Uh, you know, I'll take a gigantic discount. I mean, if he was going in the 23rd round, sure, I'll take a dollar-type stab at him. Uh, but, you know, I, I think there's going to be some others who are going to get that many homers and steals. Uh, he's not all that thrilling to me. His injury, I mean, I'm concerned about his injury uh, history. Um and I want to churn the bottom of my roster a little bit, so I don't want to pigeonhole anybody there. And, you know, if he's an injury risk, I, I'd rather have a guy with even more upside at that point in the draft. So I'm probably not going to take Will Myers, uh, but he's interesting at least. Uh, here's another guy, uh, our final guy of the evening. Uh, he was really, really good a couple of years ago. In 2021, he was a $19 player. I'm talking about Jared Walsh. Last year, zero. He went from 29 homers in 2021 to 15 homers last year with a 215 batting average. Ouch. The guy cannot hit lefties, so I have to imagine the Angels, who acquired a zillion people to play the infield, are going to platoon him. Pretty much straight platoon. Strong side platoon, but still straight platoon. Um, I don't know. Any thoughts on grabbing uh, Jared Walsh, who's going in the 23rd round, Frank? I'm completely out. Of all the players we've talked about so far, it's... The fact that he can't hit lefties, and he's coming back from thoracic outlet syndrome, which I know that's more of like a pitcher injury, but that is a tough injury to come back from. So those two things combined, I just completely look the other way. Uh, give me one of these other corners that we've talked about. Yeah. Ruvain, you agree? 
Yeah, I, I tend to agree on that, but he does have one of the highest possible ceilings that we saw in 2021. So if he does come back fully to where he was, he's the only. there are only two pure lefty hitters in that Angels lineup, so they probably want to play him as much as they can. The other pure one is, is Otani. Everyone else, there's one other switch hitter, but otherwise, that's the only two lefties. So I think they do want him in the lineup just to have, you know, a little break between all the righties. I, I, I don't, I, I'm nervous about his injury risk and, and whether or not he just did career, have his career season two years ago, and that was it. Yeah, you know, it always remains the possibility, although he was really lucky in that year. His homer to fly ball rate was really lucky looking. His BABIP was 335 that year. Um, seemed to be a little bit lucky. Now, especially with the dead and ball, with the health risk, yeah, I'm I'm mostly out. I think there are players with better upside that I'd rather take. He doesn't steal at all. Um, Angels, not going to be a good team. The runs and RBIs are going to be limited. Who knows where in the lineup he's going to bat? Probably not high. So, yeah, I'm, I'm mostly out on Jared Walsh. All right, listen, you know, we, we go through these players. We're not going to love all of them, but, hey, that's why we do these deep analyses. All right, uh, we got the injury report. Ruven, who's, uh, who are the corner infielders or others that uh, you should know about? Well, first, let's start with Jared Walsh's teammate, and that's Mike Trout. Trout said that his back has been a non-issue for four months, so put all those injury concerns to bed. Don't worry about that too much. Now, as for the two, I'm going to mention two corner infielder injuries who's come, two corner infield players coming back from injury. Alex Bregman had a fractured left index finger. It's healed well. He's been swinging since the beginning of this month, since the beginning of January. He should be ready for spring training. There should be no restrictions for him. However... Joey Votto had shoulder surgery. He is going to be, quote-unquote, going to be delayed there because his rehab is tougher than he anticipated. He is not going to be a full go starting at spring training. So if you're thinking about getting him late in your draft, get him even later. Does Will Myers play some first base instead of Votto to start the season? I think I think he will, but, I mean, it's a matter of whether Will Myers can stay healthy himself. Any thoughts on Votto for this year, Frank? We just totally out, and Votto's better now at, well, I'm not going to say he's better at making TikTok videos, but are we uh, are we out on him for fantasy? Man, I love the player. I love the personality, but I think it's just it's past time for fantasy purposes. I drafted him in my main event last year, which turned out to be a huge mistake. Uh, so I don't know that there's much left. The production was down last year, and now we've got the injuries on top of that. You know, I hope he can finish out strong and you know kind of add to his Hall of Fame resume. But for fantasy purposes, it's probably a no go for me. Do you think he's a Hall of Famer? It's funny. I, I had this conversation a couple years ago with uh, Joe Pizzapia, and I'm like, Votto's a Hall of Famer for sure. And he's like, no, he's not a Hall of Famer. No way. Uh, I'm on the side of he is. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think he's a Hall of Famer too, right? If you look back at you know his entire resume of work and the fact that he was at one point I, I would say probably the best hitter in the game, right? Just pure hitter in terms yeah, of plate discipline and power and everything that he put together. People always wanted him to swing the bat more, but – he was just a really patient guy, and that added to you know a stellar on-base percentage for his career. So, uh, yeah, I absolutely think he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, you agree, Ruben? I agree. If if Scott Rowland, congratulations to him for getting in. If he got in this year, I think that Joey Votto will get in also because Joey Votto, for his career, he's a 297 career hitter, 342 career home runs. By the way, this is his last year of his 10-year contract. So, he's, I mean, the Reds have a club option for next year, but I don't think they're going to pick it up. Um, but this may this may be his last hurrah. This may be his last year. So we were looking at this, and I, I don't see why he wouldn't be. I mean, he was, he was the elite first baseman that everyone wanted 
in, in, in fantasy baseball about seven, eight years ago. This was the guy. He was patient. People were complaining he wasn't hitting enough home runs, but he hit 342 for his career, which is, I think it's more than Scott Rowland had. So, I, you know, I, I think he will make the Hall of Fame. It just may take a couple of years. Yeah, and but you know what? We're now in the age of analytics voting where the writers are thinking more about analytics. And I was listening to Sweeney Murdy talk about, you know, Scott Rowland. He was saying, you know, you know, Keith Hernandez didn't get in the Hall of Fame. Don Mattingly didn't get in the Hall of Fame. But they were voting in a different era when you had the steroids era and everyone was hitting homers. Oh, my God. And you didn't really have those gaudy home run totals by those two. So that's probably why they didn't get in, although those two might have gotten in if they voted today. Nowadays, it's all about analytics. And Votto, he's the analytics guy, that OBP and all that. Uh, I kind of think that because of the voting environment, five years from now, I think he'll get in. You think that's a good reason, uh, Frank? Yeah, I absolutely think so. I also think it, it depends on the ballot too, right? Because this, you know, 2023, the ballot was kind of light. And, you know, maybe they just wanted another guy to put in along with Fred McGriff, who got, you know, voted in by the Contemporary Era Committee. Uh, but yeah, I think it comes down to like, you need some luck within the ballot too. Like if there's not much else going on, they might just, you know, give you more votes as a result of that. I'm not saying that's the right thing to do, but I think maybe that's part of the reason why Scott Rowland got this big boost here in 2023. And his career, his his career OBP, Joey Votto, 412. So crazy. And that, that's that's crazy. That's just crazy. Yeah, exactly. No, definitely like Joey, and uh, hope you do have a good year, and hope you make uh, us guys who are probably not going to draft you. Sorry, uh, in your age 39 year. Well, there you go. All right, well, that is uh, coming to the end of the show now. Thank you so much, Frank, for joining the show. Uh, if you have not checked out Frank's podcast, uh, I, in fact, I, I'd say almost everyone who listens to us probably already does, uh, Fantasy Baseball Today, CBS Podcast. Uh, those already know that Frank is pretty much the best host of any podcast in fantasy baseball. He's absolutely fantastic. His analysis is spot on and his ability to control the flow of topics on the show is phenomenal. So uh, I, I listen to the show all the time. You should too. Uh, what else is going on, Frank? Yeah, we're starting to up our frequency in the month of February. We're going to do position previews. We've got some live mock drafts coming up. So it's about to become a crazy part of the year. And I love it. You know, pitchers and catchers coming around. Uh, Super Bowl is about to end. You start to feel things change over to baseball mode and fantasy baseball mode and the anticipation, the excitement builds. So really excited about all that. Fantasy Baseball Today is where you can listen. We have a five-minute podcast as well in case you don't have enough time to listen to the full-length one. That's Fantasy Baseball Today in five. I appreciate you guys having me. I appreciate the kind words, Ariel. Uh, I'm just trying to be as good as you, man, when it comes to hosting. That's, that's really what it comes down to. Oh, no, de definitely the other way around, Frank, definitely. But thank you. Thank you very, very much. Uh, and uh, you'll be in Florida uh, drafting in the labor draft this year. Is that correct? Yes, I guess this is a breaking news announcement. I haven't really told anyone yet. No, no it's totally fine. Yeah, I was going to you know make it known eventually anyway. But yeah, going to be down in Florida for First Pitch Florida. Uh, NL Labor, looking forward to it. It's absolutely stacked with uh, competition there. So it's it's actually been a couple of years since I played in a mono league, so I'm going to have to, uh, you know, dust it off a little bit and, and see what I could do. But, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. All right. Well, looking uh, forward to seeing you uh, again there. Of course, I do see you, you're in New York, so I have seen you uh, before then. But uh, sunny Florida is, is always great at this time of year. Looking forward to that. Uh, Ruven, why don't you uh, tell us what's going on with you? 
You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I'm tweeting out injury updates as they come in, as players start to report to spring training and pitchers and catchers start to report. Um, I also have an in-season article on Rotoball discussing all the injuries the next guy up. And I also, Ariel, I wanted to ask you, who's a better tennis player, you or Frank? <laughs> um, well, I won the last two matches, but we're, we're close in level, I think. Stats okay, just, don't just... lie, man. I, I'm 0-2 against Ariel Cohen. He is a better tennis player than me. You're 0-2, but the analytics are in your favor, right? Uh, maybe. I don't know. I'm going to have to look into him. We we always pick the hottest days in the summer, by the way. I don't know that's, why. That's absolutely true, too. I think two years ago, we played. It must have been 100 degrees outside, yeah. and, and I ate an egg sandwich beforehand. I thought I was going to throw up. It was terrible. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, in hot days, I'm doing well. Uh, if you want to split between cold and hot days. So there you go. Uh, all right. <laughs> well, that's the end of the show. Uh, I'm Ariel Cohen. You can see me at ATCNY on Twitter. Uh, that's a five-letter Twitter handle. That's pretty cool. Uh, and uh, you can see my work over at Fangraphs, over at Rotoballer, and the ATC projections are up. Going to have an ATC projection update probably in a week from now as some more projections roll in as we get updated news as I find out that some projections have been updated for the new rules. So all come in, check out ATC projections, and uh, there you go. All right. So once again, thank you so much, Frank Stamfel, for coming on the show. And from all of us here at Beat the Shift, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.